the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, indeed. Backbone Radio, Matt Dunn on board. And it is, let's see, November 13th, 2022. We'll run from 4 to 7 p.m. right on right on through to conduct a little autopsy of what happened last week on Tuesday on Election Day. It's not day anymore. I should say it's Election Week. It's Election Month. We still don't know some of the results in certain key places. But I think we can all agree that um, we were expecting more. We were expecting more of a red wave, and it did not materialize. Um, It does look like the Republicans, in terms of the House votes, won the popular vote by 5 to 6 million votes. That would be a 4% edge. But somehow that has not translated into clear Republican red dominance of the House. And it looks like, obviously, the Senate, the Senate is either going to be 50-50 or 51-49 run by Democrats. And a 50-50, of course, means Vice President Kamala Harris will be the deciding vote in any Senate matter. And, of course, we'll go leftward with her, any potential tie-breaking votes. So here we are. Here we are. Not much of a red wave. And I want to just be throwing it out there and don't have all that much audio together tonight. I thought I would just sort of sit and chat and talk things through and see what's on people's minds. What happened? How did it all go? Were you surprised? Were you not surprised? How is your emotion level right now? And oh yeah, I've I've been listening and emotion level is high across the board and you know, we can do some of the emotional stuff tonight or we can kind of try to burrow in, try to get to the point and figure out okay, like what what happened? What went on? Why did we not achieve the goals that we wanted to achieve across the board, across the country, and right here in the state of Colorado, where, yeah, uh, Republicans really do need to be feeling hopeless right now in Colorado. That's just the way it is. And you can try to gloss that over and say, well, we're going to dig out, we're going to find a way. And, but, boy, you got to get through any denial on the situation in Colorado where Republicans just across the board just got smoked, wiped out, creamed. And, you know, I was expecting a lot closer races. I have to say that. But to see our candidates go down the tubes so brutally, it's just, yeah, that's just the way it happened here. And we start talking about, okay, why and what's going on and the autopsy reports, and autopsies are an interesting situation. Uh, They're not scientific in terms of the political type of autopsy. 
Whereas, you know, an actual autopsy run by coroners and so forth, and pathologists, can be rather a lot more scientific about what went on. And so I would say that an autopsy is the kind of thing that it's really a risk of learning the wrong lessons from what just went down. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Um, And I don't want Republicans, I don't want voters to learn the wrong lessons from what happened just now in 2022, what some call it a red trickle as opposed to a red wave. I am acutely able to recall the election autopsy run by the Republican Party establishment after 2012, after Mitt Romney went down in flames. And the election autopsy then was generated, written up, a lot of money spent on it by the Republican establishment. And they came to the conclusion that what Republicans need to do to ever win again, again, this is going back 10 years ago, the establishment concluded that Republicans need to become more like Democrats, and they faulted Mitt Romney for ever talking about the border and border security. You can't do that, said the Republican autopsy back in 2012, and Republicans need to make essentially a comprehensive effort to be more like Democrats, okay? At which time Donald Trump came along, 2016 presidential election, and disregarded every single aspect of that 2012 autopsy, and of course went on to win the 2016 election. So autopsies get tricky, and when something happens and when something big happens and emotions are running high, A lot of people who know how to play these scenarios, play these moments, they know how to jump right into the aftermath of an event, of a traumatic event, of a crisis event, when people are looking around for answers. People are high on emotion. They're looking for somebody to blame. They're looking. They're looking for a scapegoat. They're looking, whoa, man, we're looking for somebody that just dropped a hammer on. And people know how to manage that in the propaganda sphere. Oh, they know exactly how to dive in there and channel the anger and channel the outrage. And I do think we're seeing quite a bit of that right now in the mainstream media. And I would advise everybody just cooling off a little bit. And yeah, you want to feel the intensity. You want to feel the full, especially in Colorado, humiliation of it all, our Colorado candidates again wiped out, wiped out totally. But I always prefer in moments like these to start thinking very clearly, thinking very clearly. Do you want to start lashing out? Do you want to start just casting blame? Do you want to start scapegoating? What do you want to do? Or do you want to start thinking, wow, okay, we have these results. What can we piece together about what went right and what went mostly wrong, especially here in Colorado. And and so that is my advice, at least, you know, and we'll see if I can live up to that. We'll see how high as the emotion gets here as the next three hours go by. And that doesn't mean if you call in and you're feeling emotion, go for it. Just go for it. I just, we want to hear it. And you got to feel emotion. It's normal to feel emotion. Sometimes uh, emotions are more trustworthy 
than intellectual cerebrations uh, in a lot of ways. Um, it was a film, French film director who said, you know, the older I get, the less I trust intellectualizing and the more I trust emotions. And so, you know, there's a place for that. I'm not downplaying that. I mean, we could all just, you know, have a major cow and there's some use to that, right? 303-696-1971. So just, you know, I want everybody to check in. Should you have thoughts? I mean, should you have any wisdom? Should you have someone to blame? Should you have someone not to blame? This is where we start fleshing it out. We start talking it through. And I thought we might talk about, yeah, um, the Joe O'Day campaign in particular, okay, for this first hour. Anybody have thoughts on Joe O'Day? Never Trumper, pro-choicer. Um, and I stayed back. I held back, and I just said, you know, hey, I'm kind of curious. If the establishment gets their establishment candidate and they run a campaign the way the establishment likes to run a campaign, what will happen in the state of Colorado? And I thought, you know, I'm going to sit back, and I, I never got in the way of any of that. And a lot of callers were not happy with O'Day's campaign and how it was going. And But I, I stayed back. It wasn't always easy, but I did. I said, I want to see what happens when the establishment gets a, their candidate, spends a lot of money on them, Mitch McConnell, big friend of Joe O'Day, right? And then see what the results are. <laughs> we know the answer now, do we not? And we do know the answer now, uh, this, I, I think the O'Day race in particular is one to look at and puzzle over and see what we think happened there. I've got my thoughts, of course. Mitch McConnell, the future of the Senate, should he be the Republican leader of either, I guess, the minority leader? What do they call it if it's 50-50? Good question. Trump versus DeSantis, what do you think? And who's blaming Trump out there? Who's blaming McConnell out there? Who's blaming McCarthy out there? Oh, so much to talk about. Be right back. There we go. A little theme from a John Wick movie there, bringing us back. And we're doing the autopsy. We're putting our pathologist hats on. And we'll be talking it through. And I thought... I mean, I've got a lot to unfurl here, a lot of thoughts. And one thing I do think, a category I would like to posit early, is there a difference between a vote and a ballot? Is there a difference between trying to persuade an individual to vote for you or vote against the other guy versus the mechanics of getting a ballot turned in. And this is a category that I think in Colorado ought to resonate with an awful lot of individuals in the sense that elections used to be about voting and voting day and election day. And now, with the advent of the mail-in ballot, it's different. It's different. And I think you can make a distinction between a vote and a ballot. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? I'm going to flesh that out and try to put some more detail around that. And then after the mail-in ballot was introduced here in Colorado, obviously it went from mostly red to deep, deep blue in the state of Colorado. I think you can make the case that the Democratic Party has mastered the concept of the ballot. 
whereas the Republicans have not yet done so. And I do think in Colorado and even nationally are in some kind of a denial about the nature of the difference between the vote and the ballot. And we have to somewhat dispassionately get through a lot of fog and haze and emotion and hysteria and take a good hard look at that, a very good hard look at that. Is that possible? Do you think that a lot of people can do that? Do you think that commentators can do that, drop the emotion, dial it down just a little bit and say, all right, okay, it's different. Votes and ballots are different. Hmm. After the phone lines here in a second, they have filled up already, and I'm so honored to have everybody, and we'll just vent, we'll ventilate, we'll talk, and I just want everybody's opinion. And, um, again, 303-696-1971. But Joe O'Day, the case of Joe O'Day, like I said, I stayed back, I held back. I was almost seldom at all critical of Joe O'Day. I didn't want to get in the way. I didn't want to disturb anything. I didn't want to rail the waters because... I wanted the establishment to show us how to do it. I wanted the establishment, a friend of Mitch McConnell, the Republican Party establishment, both Colorado and nationally, show us how you do it. You know, you okay, Colorado, we're, you know, pro-choice state, so let's, let's have a pro-choice candidate. Let's have a never-Trump candidate. Let's have the candidate actively antagonize Donald Trump and the MAGA movement on CNN. And let's run a campaign where you never, like, take a bold stand on something or like, send out a tweet that, like, really gives the voting base a reason. Like, oh, I want to vote for that guy. You know, I want to get up there. Look at that. He's talking about this. Uh, it was bland, right? I mean, it was just kind of bland, kind of boilerplate kind of stuff. And did that work? I mean, losing by about 13 points down the tubes. It did not succeed. Has there been a reckoning on that? Uh, should Mitch McConnell have a reckoning for Joe O'Day? Should the... Colorado Republican Party uh, have a reckoning on the Joe O'Day uh, situation. Disaster, you have to just say. And I'm inclined to say that we should step back and say, you know, look, we wanted to see what would happen if we ran this kind of candidate. We wanted to see what would happen if a never-Trumper, pro-choicer, uh, Mitch McConnell-style Republican runs in Colorado, what would happen? Whoa. And we know that that did not work. Well, okay, so let's chalk that up. Some people seem to be wanting to be blaming Trump for the O'Day five-spiral crash, and I just don't see that at all. I mean, it's like the, this is one race where you absolutely cannot blame Trump at all. Although part of me did wonder if by Joe O'Day actively antagonizing Trump about a month before the election on CNN, if he was trying to somehow find a way to blame Trump if he were not to win, right? Does that make sense? I even said that on the air at the time. You can go back and listen to the podcast there. It's like, ah, speculation. At any rate, I have set that up a bit. I've got a lot more thoughts on this, but let's get right to some phone action. If you're on the phone line, just hang right on. We'll talk to everybody. Minimal audio tonight. We'll just talk everything through, say our hellos. Brad in Lakewood, first up tonight. Glad you're here, sir. Yeah, thank you for taking my phone call. Our number one problem is Mitch McConnell. He spent $9 million to attack Kelly Shabaka. He sure has spent the money on Bulldog, uh, Laxalt, and uh, Blake Masters. Our number two problem is Tom Emmer. He didn't really do much to help matters either. As a matter of fact, uh, Charlie Kirk referred to Tom Emmer as a piece of human garbage. Our third problem is in Colorado. 
We refused to get rid of the open primary. For that, I blame Christy Burton Brown because she had two chances last year to remove it, and she didn't do a darn thing. So uh, we got three different people to blame as far as I'm concerned. What are your opinions? Fascinating, Brad. And, oh, Mitch McConnell, to me, his day is done. No more leadership role for Mitch McConnell. I think hour two, I'm going to really dial in on Mitch McConnell, but you nailed it, Brad. He spent $9 million bucks in Alaska against a MAGA Republican to try to get Rhino Murkowski in there again. And he starved Blake Masters in Arizona, a very tight race. He starved Dan, Don Bolduck in New Hampshire. He could have spent that money in places that would actually make it a difference. But Mitch McConnell's battle, Mitch McConnell's war, was for control of the Senate. They do not want MAGA control of the Senate. They do not want outsider control of the Senate. It's got to be the party. It's got to be the establishment. And that was his agenda all along, I think, Brad. Would you agree with that? Oh, I agree. It's like uh, someone called up Mark Levin the other night and said, uh, Mitch McConnell would rather lead in hell than serve in, than serve in heaven. Yep. He's, so unfortunately, until we... Uh, Unfortunately, John Barrasso wants to still hold the vote on uh, holding uh, Mitch McConnell for a leadership position on November 16th. So uh, John Barrasso is part of the problem, too. Yeah, but there's like six or eight senators that do not want to hold this leadership election until after Georgia. And you're getting rumblings. You're getting some significant rumblings from Republicans. And I've got the list here. But it includes uh, Rubio and Hawley and a few others. that eh, they're, They're not signaling support for McConnell. I think, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a decent chance McConnell is not going to be the guy. But we shall see, right? And I'm kind of worried about, I don't, I think we might be able to hold the Senate with Herschel Walker, maybe, 50-50, but I'm starting to wonder if we're going to lose control of the House. I, I honestly believe that when this is all over and done with, my opinion is the Democrats are going to have 220 seats in the House and they're going to hold the majority again. Now, I hope <laughs> I'm wrong. They are clawing one vote after another back in the House races, and you're having some commentators out there saying, well, what are Republicans going to explain to their constituents when Democrats do actually claw that House back? Hmm. It's possible, Brad, people are talking about it, that it might be double minority status for Republicans in an era where Biden has screwed absolutely everything up and Republicans got the popular vote by five to six million votes in this election cycle. Hmm. How would we explain that one, huh? Well, I I think part of the problem is people listened too much to the polls because the polls had us ahead, even Trafalgar, which turned out to be wrong. And I think people on our side got overconfident and just took it for granted. And Charlie Kirk had been and Steve Bannon had both been talking about that. We can't take this for granted. Yep, and they were right. Unfortunately, a number of them did. So, uh, what about Brad? The difference between a ballot and a vote? Have you thought about that? No, I, I don't know. But I think they ought to go back to the old, the old-fashioned way where we registered to vote thirty days prior to election, and you had to stand in line to vote unless you were in the military. Right. Or the table. That won't happen in Colorado with leftist control here, but. The Democrats have mastered the mail-in ballot architecture and infrastructure. The Republicans have not. And that's something that needs to be dispassionately, thoroughly explored if we want to move forward in an effective manner, in my opinion. So, Brad, I might put your mind on that. Read some Sundance on that. Yeah, the waiting is the hardest part, sings Tom Pity. 
And we have quite a bit of waiting yet to do, apparently. And I don't know. How do you like that? You have to waiting on Nevada, waiting on Arizona, waiting on several house races. Oh, it's just back in 2016, the New York Times did this video on how crazy it was not to have the results of an election on the day of the election. But now, six years later, people like the New York Times, the Democrats, the left, have conditioned Americans to believe that winners just simply cannot be determined on Election Day. This is a new thing. The waiting game is a new thing. And the longer you wait for the election results, uh, what tends to happen? Which direction do things tend to move? In that scenario, 303-696-1971, Matt Dunn, Backbone Radio. You're invited. There's one line open here at the moment. We're going to talk to everybody. And Chuck in Oklahoma, Tulsa, glad you are here. How are you seeing the lay of the land, sir? Well, let me tell you um, real quick, and then I want to make a comment on O'Day. Out there in Nevada, let me see, Laxalt was 5,000 votes ahead. I don't know if you heard, like, we're uh, at the main center where they – supposedly count the votes the lights were out for eight and a half hours and lo and behold when he went back on he was only 500 votes ahead and and of course uh the cameras you know, went off for like nine hours or something right in nevada right um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then uh okay then out in uh pennsylvania of course you know they, everybody gets a gets a ballot you know and uh, from what I from, the, from what I understand, there was more um, more ballots than registered voters that were returned in the, the Philadelphia area. And then, of course, you have this this walk it uh, walk it back slow, uh, waiting for the uh, for the House to be taken by the Democrats. And I'm not really sure there's too many people like McCarthy or whatever that would be too upset with that. Uh, looking at the lame um, supposedly new contracts with uh, the Democrats, I mean, uh, with America that he had. Yeah, McCarthy, uh, does does anybody know what McCarthy's contract with America was? It was bland, it was watered down, it was never, like, backed up and emphasized and pounded away upon. It was like, yeah, what what was the national, uh, Mitch McConnell had no national election strategy, legislative strategy, like a reason to vote Republican meaning a clear knowledge in a voter. You vote Republican, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to translate right. your vote into policy action. No, they don't work that way, do they? Not this cycle, anyway. And, no, and see, as far as O'Day uh, goes, you're, you're, you and Randy are exactly right. Uh, there's like a, at least about three people who got exactly the candidate that they wanted because all we hear is that elections are won in the middle. You know, don't worry about the base or expanding the base. Uh, And so what if their view on abortion, which uh, turned out to be a major issue, is uh, direct opposition to the the base, and you're out there giving uh, speeches along with your family, like about transgender rights and so forth, and uh, you expect everyone, like, of your base to uh, follow along. Well, it just doesn't work that way. Well, uh, it, nothing. Uh, I mean, nothing worked. So yeah, Joe O'Day is no. the establishment dream, never-Trumper, mm-hmm. pro-choice candidate who did the bland, bland establishment talking points, uh, I'm not Bennett campaign, 
and it failed miserably down the two and that he was well funded i mean i could not move an inch in this state without seeing a pro o'day ad you know for months around here and right. it uh, obviously it didn't work and right. somehow right. another like the right. o'day campaign manager is going out of his way to somehow blame trump for the loss and that to me is on its face preposterous this is one where the establishment needs to look into its soul and realize that that failed so why why? The never-Trumper pro-choice failed. Why is that? And well, I haven't heard like I said, them do that yet. No, I, I, I still totally believe that um, establishment, uh, the elite, uh, wants the Democrats to um, take the House. Why would it be like this? Uh, where's the You know, where's McConnell, where's McCarthy coming out and demanding that um, things speed up or whatever? I, uh, I just... That's just it. It's an amazing no, nonchalance really. about, uh, you know, election results in Nevada and Arizona and Pennsylvania. You're not seeing Republicans say much, do much. Uh, again, it's like that usual sound of stepping on a plum. I'd keep going, Chuck, Bobert but go, from, go ahead. I just, to, I just wanted to ask you, how does Bobert go from hands down uh, to uh, just a couple of votes ahead. Uh, that part I don't understand. Yeah, the Bobert thing is a major wake-up call. And, of course, people are going to say, well, people just don't like Trump. They don't like Trump, and she's juvenile and all that stuff. No. I no. think that's where you have to start looking into the difference between ballots and votes, which I will explain exactly. more. I'm a little surprised more people aren't aware of this distinction. And I'll, 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 I'll pound away more on that. And Colorado is uh, the canary in the coal mine on this the last several cycles. But, uh, mm -hmm. Chuck, excellent series of points. Let's keep in close touch as we work this through. Thank you for being here, sir. Jack in Wyoming, glad you are here and been wondering what Jack's been thinking out there. What's on your mind? Well, it's mathematically simple if you look at it. From a point of view, half this country doesn't want the establishment, and the other half does. But the other half is equally Republicans and Democrats. So as long as we do two parties with Republicans and Democrats, the establishment's always going to prevail. So when we bring in the third party that's anti-establishment and then has people like Trump and myself and yourself in it, that's 50%. That's a 50% that the, that the other two parties can't, can't pierce. And it's a mathematical very simple answer to it, and that's what it is. It, and it's either that or it's going to be a revolutionary war. It's going to be one or it's going to be the other. I think right now we're going to be deciding what kind of uh, Republican Party do we want going forward. Do we want, you know, the Bush-McCain-Romney-style party? Um, or do we want a uh, MAGA-type party? And I would submit to you that the people that are thinking DeSantis is going to be the answer are thinking that DeSantis would turn the GOP into a MAGA-type party. But I'm sitting back with concerns that DeSantis is not actually that kind of politician. He's more traditional Republican, again, in the Bush-Romney Bush, -Romney, Bush -Romney mold. Um, so that's going to be a conversation. Exactly right. We don't have to obsess on it right now, but what, what kind of future GOP would you like, Jack? But the GOP and the Democrats are one. There is no GOP. There hasn't been a GOP for the last 20 years. There is no GOP party. There's an establishment group that's half Republicans and half Democrats. Then there are the people who want to go against the establishment and get rid of the deep state. And on the 
unfortunately, they don't have a party to, to assemble in. That's why we have to have an anti-establishment party, and 50% of the people will join it, and that's the only way you're going to clean this mess up and save this country. There is no other way. You're talking uniparty here, and boy, Jack, when you said that, I think you're right. But guess what? I just think most people can't figure that out. Would you agree with that? Most people don't understand that. They think Republicans are Republicans and Democrats are Democrats, and they don't understand that Mitch McConnell might be every bit as much of a Democrat as he is a Republican, and same even with McCarthy. Does, does that make sense? That, it's such a hard one to get people to grasp because you have these categories, and the establishment knows how to play upon these categories that are firmly embedded in most people's minds when you can't really like get through the surface of what do those categories actually mean? How are they used? You know what I'm saying, Jack? Yeah, it's simpler than that, Matt. There's more stupid people than smart people, and the Democrat <laughs> has always been the home party for the stupid people. So you've got a numerical advantage with the Democrats because all the dumbbells are Democrats. The thinking people, unfortunately, are in such a small minority, they're never going to be able to control anything. Interesting. I, mean, I, I just think it's so simple. I don't understand why. I mean, yeah, I do understand why people don't understand it because they don't think. All right, you heard enough out of me, man. Oh, well, we were just getting warmed up, Jack. But uh, do you think there could be a distinction between a vote and a ballot, as in the mail in ballot scenario is different than the old yeah, well, scenario? Well, ballot, ballot is only supposed to be a vehicle for which the vote is on. That the, if the vote is not. If it's not a legitimate voter doing the vote, then then, then it, it, it does, should never appear on a ballot. But there's no control of that. That's been polluted with the early ballots, the late ballots. The ballots are all polluted. The whole system is polluted. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I think you might be making some serious points as usual, Jack. So yeah, Colorado been, been doing is... it for 20 years, Matt. Yeah, yes, you have. And I've noticed. I've, heard, I've been around for okay. at least uh, over half of those. Jack, but uh, okay, all right, man, let's. Uh, we need you around to, to to work your thoughts into this equation, Jack. So stay close. It's Matt Dunn. It's Backbone Radio. It's seven ten K N U S. Your Colorado talk leader. Be right back. Welcome back, Backbone Radio. Matt Dunn here. Three zero three six nine six nineteen seventy one. Again, full line. So honored by that. We're going to be talking to everybody. But there is a lot of blame Trump action going on out there. And again, when an event happens and emotions are fraught, the propagandists know how to exactly jump right in there and try to channel the outrage, channel the emotion against their enemy, against the outsider. We'll talk about the Trump scenario here more as the program goes on, but the Joe O'Day candidate, again, he's a never-Trumper, he's a pro-choicer, and he lost by about 13 points, went down in flames. And if the establishment was wanting to be honest, and let's really get to the point of what do we need to do to make progress in Colorado, they would look at that race in particular and have a very hard time blaming Trump for any of that, and in fact blame the establishment for the perfect establishment campaign the perfect establishment candidate that did poorly, okay, to put it mildly. So we need to get beyond some of these distinctions, you know, to like figure out, all right, what can we do in Colorado to have some improvements, all right? But of course, we're not going to have that debate. <laughs> it's going to be all 
the emotion, the scapegoating and all that. But I would like to try to get through some of that and see see what see what people think about that one among others. Let's go to the phones and say hello to Steve in Denver. Steve, welcome to the program. Are you there, Steve? I, I heard a little warble. Say something again, if you would. Are you still there? Mm, we might need Steve. Steve, could you call back again? Let's see if we can connect you a little better, Steve. Uh, we don't quite... Go ahead and hang up, Steve, and call back again, if you would. And let's keep on going here in order. And uh, actually, Steve, Steve, are you there? Yes. Okay, actually, we can hear yes. you. Okay, somehow okay. they said you were good now. Okay, Steve, welcome. Okay. Hey, Matt, um, I think until we have uh, elections where we eliminate the mail-in ballots, uh, we're never going to have a true election ever again, and Republicans will never take power. Um, the fact that... I agree with you, know, Steve. I agree. We already know who the governor is, who the senator is, yet we don't know who uh, Boebert, if they've won or not. So my thought is... The Democrats vote early, so they already know how many they are. The Republicans generally don't trust them, so they vote at the day of the election. So it takes them until late night to figure out how many Republicans have voted, correct? And then they stall it until they can go and manufacture the number of ballots they need to win. So why can't everybody else know how everybody else did in the state, yet we don't know how Boebert did? It's because they're manufacturing the boats. Well, the mail-in ballot is a whole different animal than Election Day voting. It's a whole different animal, and I would submit to you that Democrats have mastered that in Colorado and nationally, and that Republicans are lagging behind on that equation. It's a, it's a very different... Elections are just not the same. And Republicans need to honestly and straightforwardly look into... How can they learn to keep up with Democrats when it's not like persuading people for votes, but it's like getting the ballot in, the mechanics of getting the ballot in. And when you have organizers and canvassers and people whose job is to just get ballots in, starting from the moment they are printed and distributed to every voter in the state, Republicans have uh, not been able to keep up. And that's, that's here in Colorado. I think the canary in the coal mine, we've demonstrated that. And nationally speaking... Fetterman, 52% of his votes were mail-in ballots in Pennsylvania. So something to think about there. Yeah, I, I still don't believe it. Even if the Republicans voted in early, like the Democrats do, they still need the time to manufacture the number of ballots that they need to win. So they, they, know, they already know before election night the number who's voted for Democrats and who's voted for Republicans. And if uh, they want a candidate to win then they've got to stall it until they can get enough votes to um, to win. Well, that makes so you wonder if manufacturing. Arizona, election. Arizona yeah, and uh, Nevada and a um, few other places where you, you start wondering about that. I think Colorado is so lopsided that uh, that doesn't really apply here because, I mean, 10, 13, 15, 20 points, Republicans losing. Holy cow. You know, it's uh, it's just brutal. Um, but I think if an honest Republican Party wants to figure out how to move forward, they have to study in tremendous, massive detail the mechanics of the mail-in ballot, what Democrats are doing that is successful, and what Republicans are not doing that is holding them back, 
and having Republican candidates underperform significantly from what even the poll data says. Okay? I, I, I think we're lost because we'll never have that chance. Well, we won't because we have a we Democrat will. House and Senate. You need a Republican House and Senate to change anything about this equation right. that the Democrats right. like. But yet, even Absolutely. working within this system, there might be some way Republicans can do better and it is their obligation to try to figure out how to do that and just have a good, solid, honest conversation, not a somehow a blame Trump conversation when their never Trumper candidate lost so badly. Yeah, the, right. The fact is that the fact is that uh, Republicans will never control uh, the House or the Senate uh, statewide in Colorado. They're never going to be able to figure out how to do the voting. So and, and they'll never get to see it because they're never going to allow them to see how it actually works. Even though they tell them how it works and everything, they're never really going to know. Until Republicans come in and, and uh, make it valid again, we're never going to win this state, and probably we're never going to win the, the country again. It could be permanent blue Colorado. I'm, I, not, I'm not saying that about the country just yet. I think so. But, uh, think yeah, so. well, I would say, you know, don't, don't go yeah. there yet, because we got to get things together here and figure out a way forward. And there's too many millions of Americans that want to save this place and keep America, America, and fight for the middle class. But we just need the leadership to get that done. But, Steve, great set of points. Steve in Denver, stay close with us, sir. All the best to you. I don't think it'll ever happen, Matt. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm not there yet. Colorado, though, you might have a point. It is just grim in this blue state. you got to face that fact. Anyway... Ben in Morrison. Welcome, Ben, to the program. Yeah, hey, Matt. How's it going? Doing well. Thank you. I think Republicans... I bet you're doing well. I'm doing great. I knew it. I, I think Republicans <laughs> got exactly kind of what they needed on Tuesday, which was a good, swift kick to the groin. Yeah, um, big time. Bigly. Because now, now they have to reevaluate and you know reassess and say, hey, maybe we should stop dealing with all this MAGA stuff. Well, all right. On that point, uh, Joe O'Day was anti-MAGA, anti-Trump, and pro-choice. How did he not win? Because we're a very blue state. And I think if you run Ron Hanks, Joe O'Day loses by 13, but Ron Hanks loses by 18 or 20. Well, it's a hypothetical. And I think Ron Hanks would have had a hard time doing better in the sense that Mitch McConnell would have starved the money away from Ron Hanks like he did Masters in Arizona and Bullduck in New Hampshire and funneled the money to Rhino Murkowski in Alaska. But you, but you seriously blame uh, O'Day's defeat on Trump somehow? That it's a MAGA problem somehow? Yes, I do, because there's a lot of people that went to the polls, including myself, that think, hey, democracy is in balance, and Joe O'Day's not a bad person. And I might have voted for him, if the other crazies weren't driving the bus, it's like you're giving but the Colorado. To- no, the crazies were not driving the bus in Colorado. It was all establishment Republican candidates. It was all a slate of Republican establishment people. Yeah. And I voted for some of them. I voted for Pam. But Anderson. So they're not driving the bus. Kellner. So, I mean, no, we've no, tried no. we've tried the anti MAGA campaigns and it did not succeed. If you're a Republican, you have to face that squarely. But. No, that's that's not right, because federally, who's going to be taking control of the Senate? And if the MAGA wing gets control of the Senate, they are the people driving the bus. So until we have all establishment Republican candidates all across the land 
we're not going to win in Colorado. But it's only then, the wing nuts. like if it's we get all, the wing nuts. like if, if it was all Romneys and all McCain's running all across America, then you would have voted for O'Day? Yes, I would have voted for O'Day <laughs> if you start eliminating some of the crazy people that you have in your party. Interesting, Ben. Okay, we're going to hold you to that. Okay. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.